Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn more about us through zencare.org. Every morning, in the early morning, I have the opportunity to speak with Jesus, who often tells me things. And this morning he told me that it's just absolutely critical that you embody your life. I thought, Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus is a trainer in my gym. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone asks him because of his name, like, so it's the teaching of the day. I'm ready to receive. And he's very generous. absolutely critical to embody your life. It's amazing how often we don't. Because we're preoccupied, maybe even in this moment, with some thought, some idea, some grasping, some irritation, some heartache, some fantasy. Earlier today I was talking with one of my students and he was talking about how walking by buildings in Manhattan makes them wonder about the penthouses and who gets to live in them and why doesn't he get to live in them. And just noticing that. And imagining what that life is like and how much better their life would be if we lived in a penthouse apartment. As if all of our problems would go As if our feelings of grasping would disappear. The three poisons in Buddhism, to me, are so important to reflect on and take full responsibility for. Greed, anger, and delusion. Our insatiable... I like to speak. that to really look at how we are like little hungry ghosts 
that part of us, a hungry ghost in Buddhism is this little creature personified by a creature, really. But it's this little thin neck and this huge mouth with lots of teeth and these big swollen bellies and they just want to eat, 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 eat. They're starving. And nothing can quench their appetite. Think about how those ghosts kind of embody you since you woke up this morning. Or in the last five minutes about what you wished was happening, if only, if only, if only. I'll pay attention later. I'll really practice later. I don't really want to hear this talk. I want to hear a different talk. Endless. Why are they releasing the iPhone in September? Why isn't it now? <laughs> this incredible, insatiable desire to have a certain kind of body, to not age, to not be ill, to not die. To me, those are the three things that really undergird most of our greed. If we can just stuff our lives with enough shit, then we'll be happy. <laughs> Anger, if we can just really get into, anger really is the poison of it is really resentment and a grudge. Because anger in itself is fine. But it's about the becoming anger. Or the killing aspect of anger. How we kill off others. For example, think of people that you passed on the street who you liked and who you didn't like. Who in politics you like and you don't like. The possession of that kind of vitriol. And delusion kind of is very related to those two. Our incredibly delusive ideas about who we are. And the primary delusion that I'm not you. I'm not you. And it's also a great poison in most spiritual communities. wished were in this room came, to, maybe you come to this group 
and hoping certain kinds of people would come to this group. Instead of actually allowing yourself to know people that maybe you would never think you would know. A few weeks ago, I was in Missouri, which was surprising. <laughs> Mostly because I forgot I was going to Missouri. <laughs> My assistant said, so you're going to Missouri this weekend? I said, really? <laughs> the heart of the Bible Belt. And I saw immediately all my biases pop up. The kind of people who live in Missouri, how I'm not like them, they're not cool, not progressive. Not me. And it was amazing because I was there to give a talk with a very dear friend of mine, a wonderful poet named Marie Howe. And we were talking about being awake in relationships. And we came into this auditorium with a few hundred people. And many of the people, you know, had, were dressed very differently than the people I'm used to seeing dressed. And I had this thought like, oh, what's this gonna be like? I saw more crucifixes than I've seen in general. And being a gay Jew, Zen monk, I was like, <laughs> what's this gonna be like? <laughs> Where within five minutes of every conversation I had, people would ask me, so what church do you go to? It's a very important question now. So much delusion. After we talked for a little while, we opened it up for a discussion. We were talking a lot about end of life work and how it's a, such an incredible teacher. And this elderly woman got up. I'll never forget her must have been in her 80s with a walker. And all these people got up to, you know, the microphone, to, there's like a line on the microphone, and there she was, and I was like, what's she gonna say? This long, dangling crucifix, and I was like, here it comes. <laughs> it was so interesting. You know, like how I just like really saw my delusions of separateness. And what she said was that when she was three years old, her mother went to the hospital and never came home. 
and she never saw her mother again. And then she let out a howl that I will never forget. And she says she's never spoken about it before. The delusion, too, of I can't speak about it. I can't truly share myself. I can't fully offer myself and my vulnerability to you. Because I have a story that I don't do that. Or we don't do that where I came from. There's a story I love very much that you may know. There was a mother and um, she didn't feel like there was enough. And they were very poor. And she decided that it was either her and her husband or the kids. And she decided it was her and her husband. There was not enough money for food. So they decided they would have the food and trick the children and abandon them. And they did so. They tried once and it didn't quite work. And then the next time they tricked the kids into going into the woods and left them there abandoning their children. And the kids were clever and found their way to a house that was made out of gingerbread and candy. (laughs) (laughs) So tasty that they couldn't get enough. And so they began eating the house. And of course, as many of you know, the story goes that inside the house lived a very old woman who had a different appetite. And put the kids in little cages, wanted to fatten them up and then cook them. Surrounded by food and wanting something else. So similar to their mother. Surrounded by love, but wanting something else and feeling like there's not enough. Of course, they trick the old woman and put her in love. and return home. 
what would it be like to return home after you've been abandoned? For me, this is the beauty of practice. How do you really learn how to return home to yourself after you've been abandoned, hurt, and really milking those stories. Really milking the story of separateness, of the poisons of delusion and otherness. Where you don't extend out to others. You don't focus your life on the most important thing, which is nourishing relationships that are really two-way. Instead, you're just into your old stories. I love Hansel and Gretel, because there's this, this capacity that they show us, I think, to, that we can return home and deal with it. And to me, this is so much like meditation practice. Learning to return home to your seat and deal with it. Deal with the whole range of feelings without becoming those feelings or building a life of becoming that story, but beginning again. So in our practice here at the Zen Center, what we do is return to one in our breath. You find your mind drifting into some story, and you begin again. And begin again. How do you do? To me, it's like, how do you really reconcile with the three poisons of greed, anger, and ignorance? And to me, it's like fabulous news. You can feel the heaviness in the room now. But to me, it's the really good news, because if you can actually learn to have a new relationship with those feelings and stories, and loosen it up and to realize that you are not that. You are something fresh that is always available. <coughs> that is the beauty of Buddha nature. And what we're actually, you know, many people come to practice to like feel better or feel more peaceful or, but they, use it to hide out. So common. Using practice to like, oh, as if that will make you feel better. Meditation practice is not designed to make you feel better. Period. designed so that you can actually 
retrain yourself. Train your mind so that you can actually be free. In particular, from the poisons. Which tend to be all tangled up with our crazy stories, sad stories. Anyone here have a sad story? We all have a sad story to tell. And to me, that's what's encouraging, is that we all have a terrible, sad story to tell. Ah, oh. wow. You mean it's not just me? I loved thinking about the story of the Buddha when he was cloistered away in his house, in his little family compound. And he went out and saw, you know, the real deal. But many of us get hurt, and it, probably, it hurt him. He was hurt by the reality of life. He was shaken by it. And what happens for most of us is that we get hurt and then we contract and stay contracted. The practice is actually learning how to find the place in you where the wind does not move. the stability in yourself so that the winds of the old stories come up of your old hurts or your new hurts. And you can have the courage that you can actually stay with the vulnerability and helplessness. It's exquisite. But to me, you have to have community to support you in that. all you have to do. Be willing to really take on greed, anger, and ignorance. And to me, what's so great about taking on is because it's like it, we all have it. So the specialness that we think we have about our shamefulness <coughs> is the reality of it is that we, what we really have is nothing special. When I was training to be a teacher of chaplaincy I was in a committee meeting and I got really for a moment kind of scared I was being challenged about a lot of different things and 
And I said, oh, well, you know, you don't know my story. And this woman, Kathleen Ogden Davis, she was like a heavy smoker. She was so cool. She was like, she leans forward. She's like, honey, your story ain't nothing special. <laughs> and it was just like, damn, so exciting. I, was, I was said, thank you so much. And it just, like, it was like a light went on in my head. Honey, your story, nothing special. <laughs> and it's so amazing how we're like so into how special our story is. So how do you participate? How do you maintain the practice with some rigor, a little more fire. And in my experience, at least for me in my life, I've needed a lot of fire. One Zen teacher calls meditation practice, it's like entering the furnace where everything has to burn away. And it's so true. We have so much crap. Or at least I do. I'm willing to be the fall guy here. Because <laughs> I know the rest of you are totally clear and spacious and just floating around. But I think it's true. I think it's a very helpful image, you know, to think about practice being like a furnace. Like things need to burn away. Because, honey, your story ain't nothing special.